Someone drop Chris Godwin for DJ Chark. Like pork chop sandwiches. What are we doing Chris here? God- Seriously? Everyone, I'm not damn it. It's Jake C. Lee. I'm great. Everybody else sucks. Oh, huh. oh no. It's every nightmare I've ever had. Excuse me. It's time to check the link. Pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because none of this has anything to do with the show. You know what? You just made the list. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. It's all in. Sure, we talk about it all the time. Really? No. Game on, everybody. It's all in sports. Jake Seeley, your host. You know that. You know me. And let me, maybe you don't. Maybe you're coming in from today's guest who is, you should know more than you know me because he's one of the best in the business. He is well known for his reception perception. And if you don't know what I just meant by that, you should check him out. Check him out at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, which if you've known him back for what BYB means, Man, you're a good one. You're right up there at the top of the list because he's one of the best. Reception Perception, as I said, breaks down wide receivers among the best in the business over at Yahoo Sports. Matt, what, what do you got going on? Like, I know I just gave the Twitter handle where you came from and everything like that, but tell everybody what you're working on, your videos, all the good stuff. They should be following you on Instagram, all, that good, all the goodness. I mean, my God, man, it's like you make me sound so busy. Like I have a lot of things going on over here. I mean, when clearly I have so much time out of my day to carve out for your podcast, uh, <laughs> obviously I got time. No, but for real, uh, there's there's a ton going on here at Yahoo. It's a ton of fun. Um, we have two series rolling out every week in terms of videos like that are exclusively me, which if that's what you're into, God help you. But um, doing the uh, Fantasy Football Survival Kit video series where we're kind of trying to engage with the people and see what you know we're talking about this before we jumped on the air you know how when you get out of the twitter bubble like fantasy is such an interesting place where people are kind of overreacting or you know underreacting or or freaking out too much all that type of stuff that's kind of what we're trying to do with the survival kit video series is help each other get through this thing by you know taking the voice of the people and not overreacting so that's one thing that we're doing and of course we have fantasy football live going on every sunday morning and our podcast the yahoo fantasy football podcast where liz and i Try to do our best to help you navigate this awful, awful world of fantasy football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why don't you do something with your free time, dude? Like, uh, I try to. I try to cook and, you know, go out with friends and stuff. So, but, you know, in the meantime, football is really just, it's its everything. It's, it's sucking. Uh, I, it's week two and I already feel like I'm, like, man, I can feel it. You know, it's too early to feel it, but here we are. <laughs> I know exactly. I'm laughing because I know exactly which. And for everybody out there that doesn't know, and I'm just going to tell you this, Matt, the, the thing that gets me and why I'm feeling it, and I'm sure it's the same for you, is so on my site the, over at The Athletic, which everybody knows by now, is when right before my rankings, I don't have the widget rankings until Thursday. And right before the rankings are there at a table, it says, heads up, Bold italicized letters. Heads up. The full widget shows up on Thursday. This is to get it out here for you guys because you can't wait. And I know everybody can't wait. They're excited. And yet, in the comments I have, what are you going to release Flex? I loved it when you used to release Flex. How am I supposed to make? Read. Just read. Please. I mean, I just like that everything is so important, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I like that everything is so, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to go with, this right now you need these the people need to know right now jake because you know if they don't submit their lineups by right now thursday 
I mean, you know, they're going to get like half credit on Sunday. It's, it's <laughs> science. <laughs> I feel like we started this off way too, like way too, with way too much complaining for like the greatest job in the whole world. But here we are. It is. It is. Well, we tell them that all the time. I mean, I, I know you do. I've said it before. Like it is the greatest job and we couldn't do it without them. But it's just, it's always fun because we do it every single year. We laugh at it, but it, you know, it's just part of the business, but this part of it that comes with it. And here's a perfect example. If you would have set your lineup a few hours ago, you probably would have had Hunter Henry in it. And now you're not going to because he's out four to six weeks. On top of that, as we're starting this podcast, we have news that Anthony Lynn is absolutely, quote unquote, concerned about Mike Williams' knee for week two. Uh, this, this Chargers team is falling apart at the seams here. What do we do? Is, is this just a boon to Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, and that's really all that matters? I mean, we were starting them anyway, but is there any carryover value to anybody maybe justin jackson maybe dontrell inman is the man again all of a sudden for a week or two I, do we care about anybody except for those two yeah i mean i don't know if this is you know it could just be the correlation correlation doesn't mean causation and it's just something that happened and you know not necessarily an effect of henry being gone but i believe we saw the uh running back target share jump up quite significantly last year with henry out you know melvin gordon austin eckler those guys were featured parts of the path game and I think Austin Eckler obviously is he's he's like a huge winner from week one that it just this this probably should have been clear for probably about a month before the season but it's so clear after week one that if we had if we were drafting today you know Austin Eckler would be like what a, a second round fantasy pick or something Possibly. like that like because we know Melvin Gordon's not not showing up until he absolutely needs to, right? Like that would just be nonsensical for him to just randomly show up in week two. Um, he, Austin <laughs> Eckler is like so – he's such a good player. He's involved in the passing game. He's pretty much everything that you want out of a fantasy back. And, you know, I think that the obviously this news sucks for fantasy owners, for, for people who had um, Hunter Henry on their team. Obviously, Mike Williams theoretically would be a beneficiary, but as you mentioned, he's also kind of a question mark. I think this really just concentrates the offense – so much towards Keenan Allen and so much towards uh, Austin Eckler that I think that that can actually be a good thing all around for fantasy because it just becomes more clear who's going to get the ball in this offense. I think that's the biggest thing. So kudos to you if you happen to have one of those. And if you don't, there's always a consideration of quote unquote buying high and thinking that the person who's selling them are like, hey, well, I'm selling high. Well, maybe sometimes buying high is the way to go after it. So speaking of, I don't know that anybody really had this person on their roster, so, but because he was the easily most picked up player of week two, that was John Ross, which we know he has blazing speed because we did the John Ross thing. We remember the, uh, the combine and everything with the shoes and all that type of stuff. But John Ross, and I specifically want you to talk about him too because this is, again, this is your, your bread and butter is the reception perception is it's not just we saw a big game from John Ross. The really interesting part about it, and I don't know that we've got a clarification unless you've seen something I haven't, which if you have, let me know. But he was on the field more than Tyler Boyd. And mm -hmm. granted, it's a new regime, which is always like, hey, we'll find a new way to use said player. But do you see enough from John Ross that he can do more than just be a deep threat? And then two, the thought process that what if he is their number one for the rest of the season? Obviously, until A.J. Green gets back. Right, yeah, that's the thing. I think that if <laughs> look if if he's if he's out there you know and, and making a difference like that I think that it's not even just that you know it's not even just that John Ross obviously gets the stock up it's that the entire Bengals offense Bengals offense gets the stock up because that was such a huge problem with 
you know, Tyler Boyd's outlook coming into the season, uh, Joe Mixon's outlook coming into the season, Andy Dalton's outlook coming into the season was that A.J. Green is that full field presence who opens up the vertical game, who opens up the intermediate game, you know, just creates so much space for other players. But, you know, guess what? John Ross is not A.J. Green, but if he can become a more consistent week-to-week threat like that, that's going to just open up the rest of the field for all these other players. So him emerging is, in fact, a game-changing you know, possibility. Now, is this something that's going to be sustainable? That's obviously the big question. And I recall back to, you know, John Ross's college days. And I remember thinking of him as a prospect that he was not just to me, you know, one dimensional vertical threat. I thought when you looked at the way that he could really sell vertical patterns and snap back on out routes, come back on the curl, you know, obviously in a lesser degree of competition than some other prospects face, but you know, he showed the ability to do more than just get down the field. He could be, you know, he's a great red zone receiver uh, in in college because of the way he could get back on those flat routes and everything like that. So I thought he was more on like the T.Y. Hilton access of deep threats. And that's not to say he's going to become T.Y. Hilton, but we've seen Hilton become a full field receiver because he has added the nuances in his game, you know, the ability to work out of the slot as well. And I thought that was something that that Ross could do as a player too. So I re- had really, really high hopes for him coming into the NFL. And obviously those hadn't been realized yet. But, you know, it is worth noting that when Zach Taylor first got to Cincinnati, there was kind of talk of, of Ross playing more of a Brandon Cooks type of role. And I mean, I think that that's pretty perfect for him, not just because of the speed, but because of the way Sean McVay was able to get Brandon Cooks in space on crossing routes and things like that. So I will admit to being pretty excited about about John Ross, not just because of the individual player, but what it does for the rest of this offense. Yeah, and the one thing too, I like that you brought up the fact that the comebacks and the curls are something that for everybody that wants a quick Quick, quick lesson on some of the things you can watch of an NFL wide receiver, and I'm sure you probably have noticed this, and this is why you like that, is there's a way to slow yourself down when you're that fast where you start to – it kind of sounds weird to say, but you drive your hips into the ground. You use that pressure to slow yourself down instead of leaning back. Because if you lean – think of when you're running and think of like you try to slow yourself down by leaning back versus kind of like driving your legs into the ground. It's two different things. One lets you react quicker, and that's the driving your legs versus leaning back, which kind of puts you off balance. And if you watch that, some receivers like John Ross are really good at that. Yeah, if you think about – uh, I think a guy that we're going to probably talk about later in this uh, in this podcast, Marquise Brown. I talked to him the day before the NFL draft, and we he was the first one to one of the first people um, that'll tell you this is you know he's one of the fastest players in the NFL. If you don't if you didn't know that before, you definitely know it after <laughs> Sunday, right? Like, uh, but what makes him such a good full field player is he mentions the ability to change up and alter your speed during the route. Like, you don't need to be running full or two speed if you're John Ross throughout the entire route. And I think we saw more of that of him in college than we have so far in the pros. Again, I think it's been such an injury riddled situation as an NFL player so far, but that was definitely something that ability to alter your speed within the route to, as you say, like plant, go change direction really quickly. That was something you saw him, him able to do at Washington. And I hope we see more of it going forward. Well then, yeah, let's stick with Marquise Brown. I guess the twofold is you just brought up what you were talking about him as a prospect, but for fantasy purposes, can he be what seems to be the common comparison? Can he be more than Deshaun Jackson? And and I say that with the thought of not necessarily the exact same player because they're not, 
but for the fantasy purpose of there's going to be big games, they're going to be unpredictable. He might do it against one of the top defenses in the league, and he might like fall flat on his face because of the offense falls flat on their face, or maybe he just doesn't have a day against a weak a weak defense. So, is it that level of fantasy where it's going to be six or seven good weeks? Just try to get him in your lineup. Don't don't try and pick the matchups. <laughs> That's going to be tough, right? Like, I totally envisioned a scenario where Marquise Brown comes out this week in a great matchup against the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals let Danny frickin' Amendola get wide open in the year 2019. Like, that, <laughs> you've got problems, right? So <laughs> I, I can imagine him going out in a, in a great matchup, coming off a monster week. Everybody wants to put him in their lineups, and he goes two for 38 or something this week. I think that's well within the range of outcomes, especially if he doesn't get an immediate playing time boost. Now, look, I mean, I think, I think he's going to. And the thing that's interesting about Marquise Brown to me is, you know, everybody kind of want, and, and this is something I don't know that I've said enough during the offseason, but I definitely, you know, it's something that crossed my mind uh, the closer we got to the season. Or, like, right when he got drafted, it made sense to me. Um, but, you know, he was away from football for so – or he wasn't away from football, but he was, you know, away from the practice field for so long because he's rehabbing an injury. But uh, Marquise Brown often, you know – people would say when they were talking about him, look, John, John Brown like disappeared in this offense last year with Lamar Jackson, you know, and, and that should lead you to be concerned about Marquise Brown because they have similar skill sets. I don't actually think they have similar skill sets. I think John Brown is a great route runner, a full field separator, but he's not the over the middle player that Marquise Brown is. Like he's not the after catch player that Marquise Brown is. Um, that, that is where he's more similar to Deshaun Jackson to me. So, I mean, I think that, yeah, there, there, there's so much potential for Brown in this offense. And I, I do think it's going to be volatile, not, not just because of his own skill set, but because of the overall lack of passing volume. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons to be a little worried about the predictability, but that ceiling is going to be really tough to pass up in like your flex, or especially if you have multiple flex spots in, in any given week. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right. So let's talk about another one that surprised a lot of people. And I immediately, so this is going to sound like I'm saying, oh, look at me. But at the same time, I'm going to also come back and say I was also wrong at the same time. I was a big fan of Terry McLaurin, but Mm -hmm. I will say I was a big fan of Terry McLaurin and for what his potential could be if Dwayne Haskins took over, because I thought it was going to take Dwayne Haskins and that rapport from the bringing him over from college that that that's what it would take for him to actually get noticed and used more so by the Redskins. But they came out in week one and said, I don't even care about Dwayne Haskins. He's not only going to be on the field a ton, he's going to be on the field the most of all our receivers, not Trey Quinn, not Paul Richards and everybody. And he went off Terry McLaurin as the player one for you. And then two of the sustainability of obviously he's not going to be a wide receiver one for the entire year, but his long-term outlook in your opinion. Yeah, I thought it was telling when they straight up just cut Do- Josh Doxson. That that was kind of a hammer on how much they liked Terry McLaurin. Because, you know, I was writing a series in the offseason called Drum Beats, like and looking at kind of the steady progress of buzz coming out of camps and then going into the preseason. And Terry McLaurin was one guy that was getting a ton of buzz in mini camps and then the early parts of training camp. You know, Jay Gruden was heaping praise on the guy as a route runner and as a, you know, as a finisher and everything like that. and then we just saw him kind of completely disappear in the preseason, especially as it went on, which, you know, was a little concerning. But then they go out and they just release a first-round pick. You know, not a guy that had done all that much, but this wasn't a wide receiver room flush with options, and that kind of brings us 
to Terry McLaurin now, which is, you know, who else do they really have going for them at outside receiver? I think that they have a lot of incentive to make sure this kid gets a lot of playing time and continues to develop because, you know, Paul Richardson, like, give me a break. He's probably not going to be on the team in 2020. Uh, Trey Quinn is an interesting prospect, but he's a slot receiver only. Um, I, I think that they have a lot of incentive to make sure Terry McLaurin hits. Um, I, I think I'm not really buying him as a strong fantasy asset, despite the week one, you know, explosion. He's the kind of guy that I think, you know, for example, I'd much rather go up and pick up like an Alexander Madison if he's available in your leagues. And I know going into the waiver wire period, he was only owned in like 21% of Yahoo leagues or whatever. I would rather stash a guy like that than get, you know, a wide receiver four or five like Terry McLaurin, despite the fact that he had a great start to that week one game. But, you know, we saw in the second half, like Washington's offense completely stalled out uh, against the Eagles when the defense started to kind of get their stuff together. So I'm not really buying him as a long-term fantasy asset this year, but I think they have a lot of incentive to keep giving him playing time. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is the incentive. If only, you know what, if only Josh Daxton could. Where were you on, just out of curiosity, you don't have to give us ad nauseum, just the, where were you on Josh Daxton coming out? I really liked him, actually. I thought that he had a so lot did of, I. I, I, had a, I thought he had a lot of potential. And I think he, that whole draft class was a great lesson on, um, you know, translating college offenses to NFL offenses because, if you think of like all the guys that busted hard in that draft class, uh, Josh Doxson, Laquan Treadwell, Corey Coleman, like man, just <laughs> what a disgusting group! <laughs> like those guys all were, you know, running simplified college offenses where they only lined up on one side of the field. None of the, and there were some health problems with some of these players too. But at the end of the day, like none of them showed they could play, and. Then you look at the guys that hit from that draft class, Michael Thomas, uh, Sterling Shepard, Will Fuller. Those guys, you know, they played multiple different roles. They ran NFL-style routes. And that class, I think, was a really educational experience for the entire league. And I think it should be one when we look back at it in hindsight for analysts as well. (laughs) That's funny. It's like, I loved Michael Thomas, but to the ones you were just like, I also loved Josh Doxson and hated Will Fuller. So, like, I mean, you know, that's just where it comes down to. But the biggest thing was just, God, Will Fuller's hands. Granted, they've gotten a little bit better, but they're still not amazing. Real quick, actually, sidebar before we get to the rest of the people we're going to talk about. Is Corey Davis the next Josh Doxson, Devontae Parker? And, like, are, are we getting close to bust level here? I don't know that he's a bust. I mean, he's a bust for the fact that he was taken fifth overall, but he's like a fine starting NFL receiver. He's just – I think that he's so tough to evaluate because I do th- – he's almost like Sammy Watkins to me, right? Like, except he just never – he never offers those blow-up games because he plays with the Titans. <laughs> like, I think Sammy Watkins – look, we're coming off a great Sammy Watkins week, but it's not like we haven't seen a great Sammy Watkins week before. You know, there were times last year where he popped and then he would offer a lot of like three for 70 weeks. I think those those are going to happen, too, even if Tyree Kill isn't out there. So I think both of those guys have not been worth where they're drafted, but they have similar skill sets so that they're really good after the catch. They have, you know, some explosive route running on certain patterns. Uh, but they're they're not top five picks. They like is the bottom line. You know, one of them just happens to play in the Chiefs' offense now. One of them happens to play in the Titans' offense. So, I don't think that Corey Davis is a bad player. I just think he's stuck in a bad situation. And I definitely think he is not worth a f- top five pick. Like he's not a I, he's not a high quality starting NFL receiver, but he's a starting level NFL receiver. 
All right, so let's talk about another receiver that's getting thrust into a position where a lot of people are drawing the parallels between the players because there are some similarities. But I think you'll agree with me. And to be honest with you, you might have even been one of the people I saw tweet the thought I had where Mecole Hardman is stepping into the Tyreek Hill role, assumedly because Demarcus Robinson still has yet to take care of any opportunity he's been given. But <laughs> the problem with Hardman is, and this is where I think that you might have if you didn't, I, I would definitely want to get your opinion, is while Hardman has a similar skill set, he is not the route runner that people realize Tyreek Hill is. And I think that people are going to get a little too excited for Hardman right off the bat. Yeah, Hardman, I, I like him as a player, but to speak on the Tyree Kill level of route running, you know, this is one of the things that reception perception really, I think, was ahead of the curve on. You know, you remember Tyree Kill coming off of his rookie season. That was a year where he was drawing like Tavon Austin, Cordero Patterson comparisons, which, like, I get it. He was used in a gadget type role and was successful in that way. But when you really went in and looked at the, you know, small sample of routes that he ran as a rookie, you could see like, oh, no, <laughs> this guy's not Cordero Patterson. He can actually run routes. He can run the dig. He can run the curl. He can do more than just run straight down the field or take like a gadget level sweep or a jet motion or something like that. So Tyreek Hill is a elite level separator, not just because of his speed, but because of his technique. And yeah, it's going to be a downgrade for sure to have Nicole Hardman out there. But I thought Hardman did show potential in that way as a, as a young player at Georgia too. Like, remember he hasn't played wide receiver all that long. So I I really like him a lot. And I do think, you know, look, you're going to want pieces of this chiefs offense. And I, I am selling on the idea that Sammy Watkins is now suddenly a wide receiver one, just because we've seen this story so many times and and maybe he really is a transformed player and I'll be proven wrong. And I mean, that would be great. Sammy Watkins is fun to watch when he's on. Uh, but, yeah, I think Hardman is definitely interesting in that regard. But, yes, it's not a, a direct one-to-one comparison at all. Okay, so let's continue with some more wide receiver talk. You brought him up before. It was John Brown. And I kind of want to talk not just John Brown, but Cole Beasley and Josh Allen because something I brought up on the podcast, it was either last week or the week before, and it wasn't. I wasn't the first person to make this comparison for everybody out there. If you didn't listen to those podcasts, again, I'm not claiming this. This is Other minds have made the same comparison, but I compare Josh Allen to Cam Newton for several reasons, not just because of the runner that he is, but because of the inaccuracy issues and the one thing that the Carolina Panthers made the mistakes, and if you notice, the Carolina Panthers and the ties to the Bills now – and some of the things they learned from the Panthers is you don't just give an inaccurate quarterback big wide receivers assuming they're going to catch everything. What do you do? You bring in sure-handed Cole Beasley types, even a John Brown that can do more than you think, and that's how you get the guy to improve. So seeing Josh Allen still had some growing pains in week one, but Josh Allen, especially with them going against the Giants this week, of Brown and Beasley both being usable this year and is John Brown on the borderline value of almost startable as a wide receiver three every week? You know, uh, I, I just want to say the tall receiver thing, that's your boy, Dave Gettleman right there. Like, Oh, he's not my boy. I, did, I, I broke, I broke communications with the giants as soon as they hired Gettleman. Come on. Let's, let's be clear, Jake. Um, <laughs> I, this isn't just you. This is to the fantasy world at large. Uh, I thought Dave Gettleman was a hack before it was cool. And it was because, because of that, <laughs> you had that the t-shirt. Move. Yeah. Right. Like I, I'm the hipster of the Dave Gettleman hate train. Um, <laughs> and it's because of this thing, this situation right here, man. Like I remember 
when they take Kelvin Benjamin and then they took uh, Devin Funches the year after, and the justification was, oh, well, our quarterback misses high, so we'll get tall receivers. I'm like, oh. oh I'm, I'm legitimately not I'm, – I'm, I'm legitimately am shocked they didn't sign Kelvin Benjamin this offseason. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I mean, like, <laughs> when that happened and that was, like, the actual justification, I rarely – I'm not one of these people that, you know, is out there on Twitter thinking I'm smarter than pretty much everybody that works for the NFL. But that was one where I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I could have, like <laughs> – I think that's I could do this job. Like that's the that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Um, but you know what? People people bought into it. Like that's the thing. Other thing we shouldn't forget. I'm sorry. We're sidetracked. The point yeah. here. <laughs> the point here. I, I really like the Bills passing game this week. Like the interesting thing about the Cole Beasley part was to me that I I thought he kind of had a bad game in Week One, which was you know unfortunate because it was like, come on man. Like there was a couple drops he had. You know one of the it, one of uh, Allen's interceptions kind of hit his hands first. There was right. one that he let go across the sideline. I, I don't think drops are the biggest. People follow me. You know I don't think drops are like the biggest thing in the world for a wide receiver, but it's like, come on, bro. You're supposed to be the short area reliable guy. You can't be, <laughs> this is your gig. Um, but I, I think that John Brown really is a guy that I come back to is I think he's going to end up being like an every week fantasy starter. And uh, you know, that might be a hot take, but I could not stop drafting him in like the 11th, 12th round of every single draft that I did. He's on that. He's on like every single one of my teams, not just because I, I believe so much in the talent, but I really think Josh Allen can, take his game to another level. I know it's not I know it's not always going to be pretty with Josh Allen, but he can push the ball downfield. He can get it to a guy like John Brown. I really think that he's someone that Brown like how we talked about Marquise Brown that you know there's going to be that volatility week to week in your lineup. I think there's just going to be more weeks than not that if you leave John Brown on your bench, you're you're gonna wake up Monday morning really hating yourself. So I'm I'm really high on him as as a as a guy too, and especially against a team like the Giants. Then I think Cole Beasley does kind of come into into factor there. You talk about all that, and you say your teams and stuff like. And I'm with you. I owned a ton, and also a ton of Josh Allen. I actually had a best ball team, which was super flex. That had Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, John Brown, Marquise Brown, a couple others. It had Antonio Brown and Melvin Gordon somehow still end up in the starting lineup because they had to manually do it, and I still scored 190 points. So terrific. I'm, I'm retiring that team. That team just like we're done. Week one. That's it. That's the best it's ever going to be. So. Yeah. No kidding. Oh my about, god. And I said that because I wanted to use this segue. Let's talk about the worst that it could potentially be. Let's talk about the Dolphin skills players as everybody turns this podcast off. No. Yeah. Do we have to? <laughs> we do for one reason. And I specifically want to talk to you about it because we have a wide receiver position. And I'm not bringing it up because you love Albert Wilson. I'm not like, oh, you know, he got hurt. It, that does matter because I'm sure I was with you. I was drafting a lot of Albert Wilson, but now he's yeah. hurt. He pulled, got, came out of the game. And that's part of the reason Preston Williams did something. So the Devontae Parker is a thing again, question mark. Preston Williams is worth picking up, question mark. It is still potentially the worst offense in the league, and I don't want to get too excited about anybody on the worst offense in the league, but those two wide receivers, does, is there any interest, and I'll ask the question that way, is there any interest for you with this team? No. I mean, Albert Wilson's intriguing. because, And look, you saw it right away in week one. I think he ran – he got four targets on like five routes. Yeah. yeah. So – and the great part about him was it's like, hey, they're going to have to – they're going to have to get the ball out quick because of that offensive line. And now they're left with – I think Preston Williams is more of a vertical receiver. I think Devontae Parker is definitely more of a vertical receiver. Now they're left with all of these high-flying guys and – 
you know, no way they can pass protect that long. I mean, like 59 to 10 is what's going to happen when you trade your left. And I, I, they got a great return for that trade with Houston. I get it. But, like, if you're going to trade – for trade with Houston, ship off your left tackle, and then you're starting the left tackle that they were dying to get rid of in week one, you know, after he gets to the team five, five days later, this is your product. I mean, it's, I think that this Miami Dolphins team could just be so bad that like, they're always the wrong answer. I don't care how much volume is there. <laughs> I think I'm just like, if, if, if Albert Wilson's out of the equation, I, I don't think I'm interested in anything here. And frankly too, like Kenny Stills leaving, is a big problem because he was by far their most proven receiver, especially their most proven vertical receiver, a guy who could operate in the slot and outside him, him leaving is a pretty big loss. And people, I don't think realize that, but like, look right away, he, he fit into Houston immediately. And I think, you know, that was just another quality player gone from an offense that, you know, couldn't not afford that loss. <laughs> Actually, you know what? The dolphins are the right answer. I want to say, are you, you're in survivor pools, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in, I think I'm only in one this year. Thank uh, God. I'm in three and one of the three I'm specifically doing this. And I was going to see if you're going to get on board, if you're in more than one, I am for only four weeks. I don't have to worry about my, or I do have to worry about my pick because the non three second divisional games for the dolphins. And then their bye week, I'm picking whoever's playing the dolphins for the entire rest of the year. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. It would have been the right move for the Browns a couple of years ago. And you only have to make a decision four times. It's so simple. And you can just take all four, all three of their home games against divisional opponents and then you figure out one for their bye week. All right, let's Oof. go to this crap team. Let's go. Let's just move on. Let's talk about a team that was crappy the first week, but you know has people that are intriguing, and specifically at the wide receiver position. Like a lot of people out there, we know what to do at this point, and it's Brita and potentially a little bit of Mostert mixed in. And if you have an opinion there, like you think that Mostert might be better, if you're on the Brita train, then you can just say you're on the Brita train. I'm on the Brita train. Okay, I love. So I really go. like Matt Brita. So they're simple enough there. I think everybody is, and I'm with you on that. So the receivers are the big question because we have so much going on here. I don't know where you were on Dante Pettis, and I'm throwing this out there not to say I'm right because the book is definitely not written on Dante Pettis. And I respect somebody who was the highest I remember seeing was Matt Waldman was the highest, and I don't know where you were. Again, I don't know the answer for that question. But he was one of the highest I saw on Dante Pettis. I was on the opposite end. Again, book not written. But – he was barely on the field. Now, part of that might have been injury. Marquise Goodwin, we know what Marquise Goodwin is. But after that, we have the talk of Trent Taylor was working with Wes Welker and all this rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo. I love Debo Samuel's route running, but he's still a rookie, and he seems buried right now. Like, where are we going, if anywhere, with these wide receivers? Yeah, it's, it's troublesome. Um, Pettis, I'm holding right now because I liked his rookie season so much. I, I mean, I legitimately think he played really well, didn't just produce. Like, I thought as a route runner, he looked really good, especially out there when he had to play X receiver, which he did more than I think people thought. Uh, certainly, I didn't expect him to be a full time X receiver, but he was out there playing pretty well. Um, you know, defeating press coverage, getting open vertically, getting open in the intermediate zone. I, I think there's a lot of potential with Pettis, but you know talk about a negative drumbeat going into week one. And then especially what we saw in week one was just, I mean, he's out there for, I believe uh, all of two snaps. So <laughs> you're not, let me, hey, breaking news. You don't want your fantasy receivers out there for two snaps. You know, Debo Samuel actually plays more than anyone else, 59 snaps. And then you've got Marquise Goodwin and, and Rich, Richie James bringing up the top three. This is a, this is an avoid group for me right now, especially with the quarterback play, you know, just not there. 
Um, Jimmy G, you want to see him at least – I know he's coming off of a lost season. Um, you know, he plays – didn't play great in the preseason, anything like that. But you want to at least see some of the magic that we saw at the end of the 2017 season. But it really wasn't there and it, during a really – awful game uh, in week one against the Buccaneers who almost, you know, might be just as laughably bad on that side of the ball too. So to me right now, my action on this receiver core is I'm going to hold Pettis for at least another week or two, see if it was just an injury related thing. But you know, the, the news has not been great on him and you can say it's all for just motivation, but two snaps in week one, if it was an injury related speaks volumes. Okay. So let's move on from the 49ers. And yeah. Oh my gosh. We're talking about a lot of bad teams right now. Too. I know. Dolphins. So let's get excited here. Cause we get excited about the hype. It was like, look, I w- I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was doing victory laps on Monday night football because the two of my guys are going crazy, but for all intents and purposes, let's talk about from the real realistic standpoint. Tyrell Williams is the number one there. Now we know Tyrell Williams put up a thousand yards and what was it? Six or seven touchdowns when Keenan Allen was out before. But he's on number one on the Raiders now. It's not Phillip Rivers, but it's Derek Carr. Derek Carr did have two wide receivers inside the top 15 together, but that was concentrated volume, which seems to be what we're getting with Tyrell Williams and Darren Waller now because Hunter Renfro was barely out there. He was actually behind Ryan Grant, who wasn't out there and involved that much, and J.J. Nelson wasn't even a factor. So is the concentrated volume enough for Tyrell Williams? And obviously Darren Waller, that Tyrell, Tyrell can be a must-start, and Darren Waller can be a must-start in a top 10? I think so. Um, you know, I really like Hunter Renfro as a nice short area option, especially in, I mean, the fact that the Broncos didn't even record a QB hit or a, a sack or any of that, I think that is a really damning sign for that defense because, and it probably is just a one week blip. Let's be clear about that. But like that offensive line has clear defined holes. You know, they have some good players uh, throughout. I mean, they might have the best center in football and Rodney Hudson, um, they have two big question marks on the interior. And then Trent Brown is a solid starter. Um, but Colton Miller wasn't good as a rookie. So there were enough questions on that offensive line that I thought Denver was really going to be able to wreak a lot of havoc. And they did pretty much the complete opposite of that. So I thought that there was going to be some situations where they're, they're going to want to get the ball out quick. Hunter Renfro is going to be that short area guy. But, you know, they were able to take advantage of downfield threats like Waller, downfield threats like Tyrell Williams. And right now I am approaching this offense as – you know, those two are the guys that the targets are going to get funneled to. And Tyrell Williams especially, you know, I think that he is a good enough player to sustain this type of production. I mean, obviously not 100 yards every week, but he's a, he's, he's a guy that's really good and very good in clearly defined areas. You know, we know about his after-the-catch prowess, but he's also a great vertical threat. He can win 50-50 balls. You know, in reception perception in 2016, his one big season, he finished at the 87th percentile success rate versus man coverage. So he was a guy who's getting open all over the field. Um, I'm really excited about Tyrell Williams. He and John Brown, just like John Brown, how I said earlier, I couldn't stop taking him in the 11th to 12th round. Tyrell Williams was that guy in the 10th round that every time he was there, I'm like, there's too much volume. He's too good of a player. I don't care about the quarterback. I don't care about the offense. I'm going to click that name every time. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not taking a victory lap. It's just – more of like, hey, some of these veterans that aren't the flashy names, you know, they get lost sometimes, but they have resumes. Both Williams and Brown both had resumes, and they went to offenses with enough question marks that they became really big values. Okay. Yeah, and I, look, I don't disagree with you at all, and but it's still fun to be like, ah, yeah. Well, it was more so in the Darren Waller thing. That was just the fun. Well, and also Josh Jacobs for me. Where were you on Josh Jacobs as a sidebar? Uh, like the like – <laughs> <laughs> probably, no honestly probably because 
I tend to be more reactionary with running backs in terms of offensive quality than than wide receivers. And you know, let's also let's also note that uh, like even though it was great to see it was great to see how much usage he got in the scoring area. It's just how often are the Raiders going to be in that scoring area? Because I do right. think that there are still a lot of questions with this offense. Like you know, Antonio Brown for <laughs> everything that he is, holy hell. Um, he is one of the transformative players in the NFL, uh, and does make a defense does make a defense think twice or two or three times where they're lining up and everything. So I thought removing him from the equation or you know him not being at full strength was going to be a net negative for the entire offense. Right. That wasn't the case in Week One. We'll see going forward. Uh, but I probably was too low on Josh Jacobs because he's just going to get a, he's just going to get so much volume there. Well, and that's the thing. Like, kidding aside, you're 100 percent right, and I agree with you. And the, the biggest thing, I, if people will know this, and the ones that don't, is I, I compared him to Leonard Fournette. If Leonard Fournette played 16 games, it's probably not even going to be a very nice 4.456 yards per carry. It's going to be volume, volume, volume. And the fact that I think he's getting 300 touches just because, I mean, John Gruden, people, I still can't believe, I have to hammer that home so many times. The dude had, Cadillac Williams had 290 carries as a right. rookie. That's just, that's still so right. insane to think about. And that's the only reason I say that. It's just because <laughs> that's just bananas to me to think of nowadays. But anyway, all right, two more teams before we get out of here. And I want to talk just a brief DFS before I get you out of here. But the Seahawks, uh, your boy, Tyler Lockett, didn't get the volume, but produces on what he gets a lot of times. <laughs> What what are we doing with this offense going forward for the passing game side? Is like Tyler Lockett, is it just going to be like, hey, guess what? There will be weeks he gets volume because they are going to pass, and the weeks that he doesn't, he's just good enough that at worst case, you might have a bad week, but more often than not, he can do more than most can with few targets. Yeah, I think a lot of it was matchup driven too because go back and look at that game. I mean, William Jackson really did a good job on Tyler Lockett, and he's he's their best cornerback for the Bengals. William Jackson had a great 2017 season. wasn't so much last year, but he has that potential to play really well against a, a guy like Tyler Lockett, you know, who um, is playing at a new position this year a little bit. You know, 60, I think it's 62% or right around there, snap, snaps taken out of the slot or rouse run from the slot, excuse me. And, like, so that's something to note. Uh, and the rest of the corners, I mean, you saw DK Metcalf just beat uh, Drake Kirkpatrick like a drum a couple times. <laughs> And and that's going to be the case. With, that's going to be the case with a lot of these guys because the rest of that Bengals secondary is not great. Jackson's a good player, so I'm willing to kind of write off the two targets, you know, and of course one for 44 and a touch. I'm I'm willing to write that off as a fluke because I still think he's the most proven receiver here, um, and and has the most history with Russell Wilson. So I'm I'm willing to like. I'm willing to definitely default on my on my prior evaluation of Lockett more than just two targets in week one and letting that cloud my judgment. All right, then let's finish up with this one. Is it just as simple as injury has only been the ever like the only question with Jamison Crowder and the fact that if he plays 16, he's going to outproduce Robbie Anderson? Don't it doesn't matter what the format is. Oh my God. I don't care about Jamison Crowder. I don't care about 14 <laughs> catches for 99 yards. Like that's just that's hideous. I. This is why full P, full PPR sucks. <laughs> honestly, kinda like. <laughs> I mean, I'm a half PPR truther, of course, because that's Yahoo standard. So let's be clear. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, the thing the thing about it is, like, take fantasy aside for a second. Um, you can't run a functional <laughs> offense that way, and we saw that in week one. 
you know, Sam Donald's average completion, I think, traveled 2.5 yards in the air. That's just no, you can't do that. And and the, the, the I love how frustrated. Thing, <laughs> yeah, it's it's awful to watch. And the and the problem is the thing that really worries me is that if this was just a one week thing, sure, fine. Because in theory, I like Jamison Crowder the player, and if they're going to feed him that much volume, I think things will be better going forward. But the problem is this is straight out of the Adam Gase Miami playbook. You know, like this 14 for 99, like that's making Jarvis Landry blush, honestly. So <laughs> I think that I, I'm just not interested in empty production like that. You know, a high volume, uh, full PPR, great. If that's what you're into, awesome. But Jameson Crowder's touchdown stealing is still probably like four. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 gonna be letting someone else chase after that sort of hollow production. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. <laughs> Actually, real quick, and this is this I, you know I only saw this because it's in the feed, and you know I have things up just in case news breaks. Uh, I don't know if you saw it since we've been on the show because it's while we were on the show. But TJ Hernandez, a friend of ours, and in, in the in the business, make sure you're following him as well. Well, associate, but that's fine. Yeah, so <laughs> so <laughs> most targets of 15 plus air yards in week one not surprising Hopkins and A-Rob at six each John Ross at five guess who tied John Ross at five who you were I could probably give you 35 guesses I don't know why I picked 35 Cody Latimer oh yeah he did get a ton of air yards um I nope don't care about that <laughs> <laughs> don't if Sterling Shepard's out, you legitimately don't care about any Giants wide receiver, correct? Nope. Okay. Nope. Uh, just, I just want to make sure and double check. <laughs> so before we talk a little bit of DFS this week, I'm going to do so with Matt Harmon here in a second. Uh, a little segue before we get to it. I wanted to tell you guys what I'm going to be talking about: our ownership percentages, projections, stuff like that. Like a lot of times, you guys hear me and I say this is likely going to be a high ownership percentage or here's a tournament pick that nobody's talking about and stuff like that. And where I get that kind of projection information from is actually fanshare which if you want their pro and you want to see that type of stuff, I actually got a promo code for you guys. It's all in kid, very simple, all in kid gets you 20% off at fanshare. So if you're looking for that insight that I'm always giving you, go over there. And now let's talk some of that DFS that we're going to get you ready for for this week. In addition to the other show that I do for the footballers with Chris Meany and Joe Holka. So like I said, enough talk. Let's just jump into it. DFS wise, <laughs> you got any picks that you're kind of interested in? And I know that Yahoo's got your game over there. So anything that's kind of looking because I'm over uh, looking at like fans share and you're not surprisingly the two top, actually the three top, talked about players wide receiver wise at least or Fitzgerald John Ross and Juju Smith-Schuster so I guess the Juju Smith-Schuster is an interesting one uh but uh, before I even ask you about that I don't know if he's on your list but who are you looking at for this week as some sneaky plays I really like Keenan Allen a lot for the reasons I mean even before the Hunter Henry situation like I think that the Chargers one thing watching that game and it you know it did not show up as an issue because it's, you know, it, 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 the Colts still gave up a lot of production through the air. Uh, Phillip Rivers had a great game, but I really am worried about that Chargers offensive line. It is going to be a problem at some point or another. And obviously the Lions played the Cardinals in week one, so that could be <laughs> the real uh, problem here. But, you know, Mike Daniels, Trey Flowers, those are proven players who can get to the quarterback. And I think that we might see that issue crop up more for the charges against that defensive front in week two, I think Keenan Allen could pile up a lot of production as that short area receiver. And again, like no uh, Hunter Henry, 
Mike Williams might be banged up. I think that's just more volume pushed to Eckler and Allen. And yeah, in Yahoo DFS, he's $24. It's too cheap to me. He's probably going to be the wide receiver on most of my lineups. Okay, so real quick, then let me ask you about this one. The one that nobody's talking about, and understandably so, like people are talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, but not of the other two, James Washington and Dante Moncrief, because Dante Moncrief had the dropsies. And yeah. the thing interesting about it, though, there's two things here. So the other Trey Flowers, the corner, was the one that got roasted this past week by John Ross, who we talked about before, and others. I don't know if you saw the stat. I actually tweeted it out when I pulled it up. He was targeted 13 times. 10 receptions for 170 yards and a touchdown is what he gave up in that game. Uh, he gets Dante Moncrief and or James Washington. Ben Roethlisberger said it was partly on him, and then he's still going to go back to Dante Moncrief. Any interest in either one of the Moncrief or Washington? Not Washington because he was so clearly the fourth receiver. Um, you know, behind – you know, that's just the funny thing. We talked about all summer, like – who's the number two or number three receiver in Pittsburgh. And like, nobody brought up Ryan Switzer probably because Ryan <laughs> Switzer's not going to do anything really production wise, but um, he's clearly the third receiver there. And I think that puts Washington as the four. And yeah, I mean, Moncrief, as long as he keeps the same playing time, like he could very easily go out and like as a great contrarian play, just follow the volume. And look, we've seen Moncrief have games where he throws up all over himself and there are other <laughs> games where he can actually go out and make plays. I still think Moncrief is a fine NFL player, but it was so. It was just such a bad game. I remember watching it as we were recording our Sunday night podcast and just thinking, like, "Oh my, you know, oh my God, they're going to keep going back to Moncrief. This is just a total train wreck right now." Um, so yeah, I think that's actually a really good call by you as like a deep contrarian play guy who that you know no one else is probably going to play. Uh, just follow the air yards, follow the volume, and and it might end up being something against a, a cornerback group that has issues. It does have issues. It was, at least they didn't get cut, that being Flowers like Aaron Colvin after giving up. Oh, God. Like it's, oh, yeah. You hate to see it. You do. And, this, hey, that's the, that's the cruelty of the NFL, but on the good side of things to close. It's also, it's, also the, it's also just what – like any. I think there's probably more coaches than would want to admit that would love to just straight cut a guy after a game <laughs> like that, but they don't have the power to do so. But Bill O'Brien's got the power to do so, baby. And like, Just out of pure frustration – yeah, I, literally just out of, like, pure frustration, just, all right, that's it. Like, for the – not just the one play that everybody saw, but the, you know, just the overall bad game, just slice him. Just get him out of here. And I <laughs> think there's get, a lot of – Get I think there's the a lot off of, my team. I think there's a lot of coaches that would want to do that that can't do it. And Bill O'Brien, for this short time of his life, like, ride or die, gets to do it. So, uh, uh, real quick, the other great one is, do you actually know uh, – you might be able to guess. Do you know who the worst graded – obviously, like, pro football focus. Do you know who the worst graded corner was in week one? I do not. DeAndre Baker, the rookie for the Giants. Well – who they're playing? <laughs> John Brown? Yeah. Everywhere? I mean, hey, let's do it. Let's fly, baby. John Brown for life. Uh, hopefully – if everybody is listening and has learned anything from this episode, it's also Matt Harmon for life. So make sure you're following Matt Harmon at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. I don't know why I'm doing this tone because it sounds so disingenuous. I'm serious. Matt <laughs> Harmon's one of the best. I fixed my tone there. <clears throat> there you go. Uh, make sure you're following him. Matt, one more time before you get out of here, make sure I know he ran through at the top, but maybe the quick fire version kind of give everybody, make sure they're following you on Instagram as well. Cause that's where you post some of your videos. Appreciate it, Jake. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Like Jake said, Instagram's the same handle. And yeah, check out the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I know you've had Liz on the show before, and uh, we really enjoy, you know, mixing it up there. And uh, yeah, you can find all my video work. I post it on Twitter and, and Instagram as well. So just check those places out.
Yeah, make sure you're checking them out. One of the best in the business. That's probably part of the Footballers uh, Ultimate Draft Kit as well. So, Matt Harmon, appreciate it. Thanks again. I'll see you guys next Wednesday. As always, good luck in week two. And eh, just breathe a little bit. It's, it's only been one week so far. <laughs>